Today our passage is Acts chapter 3. And here we, can sit and we continue to follow the ministry of Peter and John. Uh, their ministry is, is really the focus of the early chapters of Acts as the gospel spreads and the church continues to grow in Jerusalem. So let's consider some of what we see here. And let's think about the purpose of signs and wonders. One thing that we will encounter on almost every page in Acts, or so it seems, are signs and wonders. Miracles are a regular occurrence among the apostles in the early church. We've already come across uh, that fact at the end of the last chapter in Acts chapter 2. What I want to do here is think a little bit about the reason or the purpose for the prevalence of these signs and wonders. Sometimes people assume that there are miracles performed all throughout the Bible, that signs and wonders occur everywhere in the Bible. But for the most part, miracles only occur during three different time periods in the Bible, during the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, uh, as, as uh, marking the shift into the prophets coming on the scene, and then during the time of Jesus and the apostles. And uh, each of these fi figures represented major shifts in the outworking uh, of God's redemptive plan. So it appears that far from signs and wonders simply being a regular everyday occurrence for the people of God for all time, they rather appear to be a special bestowal of God's providence during particularly important times. God seems to use these signs and wonders to give people a heads up that something important is happening and they need to pay attention. Hence, they are often referred to as signs, right? They're pointing to something. And I believe that is demonstrated here in Acts chapter 3, and the pattern will continue all through the book of Acts. The pattern is this. The apostles perform a miracle, the people are amazed, a crowd gathers to see, and the gospel is preached to them. <laughs> the miracle serves to draw a crowd so that they might hear the message. The miracles are not an end in themselves. The miracles are a means to an end, the preaching and hearing of the gospel message about salvation through Jesus. That's exactly what happens here. Peter and John are going up to the temple for prayer, and a lame man was at the gate begging for alms. Verses 1 and 2, Peter and John inform the man that they don't have any uh, money to give him, but they do have something much better than that. And with that, they heal the man. The man is healed immediately, and what does he do? He jumps and leaps and praises God, verse 8. All the people see this man jumping around and shouting praise to God, and they recognize that he's the man who, for years probably, had been sitting at the gate and, the, and at the temple begging. So what do they do? Well, they're amazed, verse 10, and they all crowded around, verse 11, a ready-made congregation. When they gather around to see, what does Peter then do? He stands and preaches the gospel to them, Acts 3, 12 through 26. And we'll see in the next chapter how they responded to Peter's message. Sneak preview favorably. But I want you, know, I want you to take particular notice of the pattern. God had just brought about a tectonic shift in his unfolding plan of salvation. He had sent his own son to live, die, and rise again for our salvation. And now he was sending the apostles with that message. The Lord needed to make sure people heard the message so that he could build his church and the gates of hell not prevail against it. And so in order to accomplish this, he caused signs and wonders to happen at the hands of the apostles to draw the crowds and the, and the gospel message go forth. Just tell you that now because you'll see this pattern uh, come up again over and over in the book of Acts. 
Well, what about baptism? Uh, let's say something about that, finally. Uh, there are some denominations, the churches of Christ are one, who believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. That is, you are not saved. You can profess faith in Christ. You can repent of your sins and trust Christ. But until you are baptized, you are not saved. That's, that's what some denominations believe. They, they hold to a doctrine called baptismal regeneration, meaning that that's when you become born again. Like we, we, we are born again as we go through the waters of baptism. Now, they would never say that the water alone saves a person. They would agree that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, no one is saved. But upon professing faith in Jesus, baptism is necessary to complete the process. That is also why they do not delay baptisms. They also, they often baptize the very same day, sometimes the very same hour as the profession of faith. And among the different Bible passages that they use to try to support this idea, and there are others, is a verse we encountered in the previous chapter. In Peter's sermon in Acts 2.38, Peter said this, quote, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. End quote. So they claim, we'll see, Peter is right there identifying baptism as an equally necessary ingredient for the forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit. Just as, serious, just as necessary as repentance is. But what are we to make of that? Well, there's an interesting corrective to this way of thinking in the very next chapter, our chapter for today. After the crowd had gathered because of the miracles they had just performed, Peter stood to preach the gospel to them. And in that gospel message, Peter said this in verse 19, quote, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. End quote. So here we have repentance and faith, though the word faith is not specifically mentioned. But there is no reference in any way whatever to baptism. He tells them to repent and turn again, which I see as a reference to faith. But no baptism. Now, if baptism is necessary for salvation, then Peter just left a huge, important fact out of his gospel message. I doubt this is the case, but I believe that Peter said exactly what he intended to say and needed to say. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Repentance and faith in Jesus alone are necessary. Baptism, uh, we need to undergo in obedience to Jesus' command, but when we do, it is simply a visible symbol to others of what the Lord has done for us and in us. And those are some thoughts from Acts chapter 3.